Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo. And on today's show, we have Keith Costello, who's the global vice president of the IBM and SAP relationship at IBM. And we'll be talking about how two competitors can actually work together to serve their customers. Also, we'll be talking about the Facebook controversy that erupted this week regarding Facebook and their relationship with Apple, as well as uh, accusations that Facebook was getting teens to use their applications unknowingly um, giving away their information. And we will also be introducing a new segment, The Pivot. So don't go away. We'll be right back. In tech news this week, we have a number of interesting articles. First is here in Silicon Valley, a family had been told through their Nest thermostat that an incoming nuclear missile was about to detonate in their community. The family had no idea that the Nest thermostat even had a speaker and that it was able to communicate to them. So they were in a panic. What happened was that uh, they reported that their thermostat had been hacked and Google, who now owns Nest, actually reported back that this was not a hack, but it was a hoax. Apparently, this family had the default password and user credentials onto their thermostat. The CFO of Huawei, who was arrested in Canada, just had an indictment from the Department of Justice in the United States. And in those charges, uh, one is aiding and abetting Iranians through money laundering. What's going to be clear is that some people think that this is part of the trade war, And whatever happens will be tied to those ongoing negotiations. So we'll be sure to update you on that. Data management company Rubrik has leaked a massive database of their client data, which is a bit ironic because Rubrik is in the data management business. Apparently, one of their databases had a default password on it as well. uh, And a researcher found out. So it's not clear if any data was actually leaked. But anybody who had access to the database could have downloaded everything regarding Um, their customer interactions, whether it's customer contacts or things about their product. Um, This is fairly serious from an infrastructure point of view, so we'll stay on top of that as well. Other big news is Apple disclosed that there's a bug in FaceTime. So if you use their video instant messenger application, that if they were calling another user the person making the call could actually already hear the conversation whether or not the other user picked up or answered the application. Apple said that they'll be releasing a patch. And last news story of the week is that Apple is rethinking its international iPhone pricing because the revenues have been slipping. And this is significant because Apple always had said that an iPhone would cost the same anywhere in the world because they're trying to avoid somebody from the United States or Western Europe going to a country selling it for less and buying the phone for a less price. So this is just a significant turn in the phone wars as Apple is losing market share. And that's the tech news of the week. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. Today, my guest is Keith Costello, who is the Global Vice President of the IBM and SAP Partnership 
at IBM. Welcome, Keith. Hey, it's great to be here, Keith. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And just a quick note, we were also going to have David Hutchinson, who's the SVP of the IBM and SAP relationship for SAP, uh, but he was um, unable to make it due to travel. So again, we have Keith in studio, or actually Keith on the phone. And Keith, you have a really interesting story and background because even though you're at IBM, you actually have a long career in tech and as well as a career with SAP before IBM. So let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. So I started my career um, in Silicon Valley. I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area for many, many years. I went to Cal. And then after graduating from there, I went to work for a sort of a startup-ish company called Oracle, who at the time um, was about 1,200 1,300 employees and had just gone public. And so I got my start in enterprise technology and at some point in time found myself at, at SAP and spent the better part of eight years there uh, in their services and, and uh, product area as well as, um, you know, involved in sales and executive sponsorship for clients. So I have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, deep relationships at SAP and I brought those to IBM to, to run our global services business um, associated with SAP, which represents a large portion of our of, of our business uh, globally. Well, that's great. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about IBM Global Services, especially in light of the Red Hat merger? Um, what's the scale of IBM Global Services to the rest of the company? Well, at, in IBM uh, Global Business Services, we call it GBS for short, we, um, we have well over 130,000 employees, um, and we serve clients across the globe. We have an incredible reach, and uh, the, um, you know, a big portion of what we do is help our clients um, advance their, uh, um, their, their agendas toward a, uh, a, you know, common systems and so on and so forth, and the change that that requires, and of course, we're seeing a lot of that in the SAP world, and so we've got you know, we're we're a very large. I mean, if we were an independent company, um, and and these numbers are publicly reported, we'd be well over 16 billion a year in revenue, and uh, you know, we'd we'd be up there with the largest um, system integrators and tech companies on the planet. Yeah, and and um, let's give a brief overview of SAP as well, because I think um, for the you know average listener, SAP is generally seen as a very large competitor to Oracle for. ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning, but but SAP mm-hmm. has done some changes as well and how that relates to where the go-to-market with IBM is. So let's just talk a little bit about what SAP is. Well, SAP, as you mentioned, is an ERP uh, company, but they've, they've advanced way beyond that. And so they, are, um, they have um, made some recent investments that many people have read about in what we traditionally have referred to as the CRM or customer relationship management arena, they refer to as customer experience or CX. And so they're looking to advance the sort of end-to-end view of customer experience, uh, you know, embedded in their technology solutions that they offer to their clients. And of course, they have other cloud solutions, which they've invested in over the years for talent and human capital management, which they call SAP success factors. And they have um, total spend management, um, which comes under, which is sort of an umbrella for them that, uh, that includes a procurement, which they have uh, SAP Ariba, uh, things like um, 
contingent um, uh, workforce uh, management and field glass and so forth. So they've they've made several uh, large acquisitions over the last six or seven years, and all of those, in addition to their own organic development, uh, makes up this end-to-end solution that that extends well beyond ERP. Yeah, and, and I mean, certainly, uh, just like other very large tech companies um, compared to Oracle or even compared to IBM, uh, they've definitely made a lot of investments. I've done deals with all those companies pre-acquisition and post-acquisition. And, and I mm-hmm. wanted to just reiterate that because we have a, a very diverse listener base that they do have solutions now for small, medium businesses as well, um, not, just, sure. uh, not, ju- not these really grand, um, just the grand ERP system. So um, let's do this because we have a lot to cover. Again, we are with Keith Costello, Global Vice President of the IBM and SAB Partnership for IBM, talking about how very large companies uh, can do business together. We'll, we'll dive in a little bit more to that in our next segment. you have any questions or comments about today's show, email us at info at svi.biz. Um, you can reach me, Keith Koo, on Facebook, Keith Koo on LinkedIn, and SVI underscore Keith on Twitter, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Today's show, I have Keith Costello, who's the Global Vice President of the IBM and SAP Partnership at IBM. Welcome again, Keith. Thank you for having me, Keith. Thanks for being here. So a really great question, especially here in the Valley, is this concept of what is a frenemy or what is coopetition? And so you have a case where uh, companies that traditionally compete can come together at times to serve their customers. And we have this actual case between an IBM and an SAP. So once again, IBM, one of the largest technology companies in the world, very large services division, which Keith is a part of. And you have SAP, originally um, started in Germany, headquartered in Germany, but has a lot of technology products as well. Generally perceived as competitors, but today we're talking about their partnership. So Keith, what in your mind um, differentiates frenemies and coopetition? Well, you know, um, one of the things that differentiates the partnership that we have with SAP is is, is the fact that it's been um, it's been in place for so long. In other words, we've been working together for decades. Uh, one of the little known facts is that the founders of SAP were all from IBM. So, as early, in the very early stages of SAP, as it was looking for partners to help implement its manufacturing system um, and procurement and stuff like this as they, as they full, more fully rounded out the, the solution, they looked to IBM to help them get into market. And as the company advanced and, and grew and matured, obviously there were, there were points of friction, uh, you know, as, as IBM got m- more and more into the software space. And now what you're seeing is SAP is getting to some extent into, well, they've gotten into database, that's for sure, mm-hmm. and now they're getting into more infrastructure as well. And so as you see these things happen, 
um, in, in the marketplace and, and amongst our two companies, the potential for uh, competition is, is uh, certainly more acute. The way that we, the, the way that we um, uh, manage through that is uh, in, in a couple of ways. One is strategically, and, and one is more just, um, you know, more tactically. Uh, strategically, though, the way that we, like in global business services, we, have, we do not have a charter to push IBM gear or IBM software. We, certainly, we get educated on it. We know what it is. We know how it works. We know what the benefits of it are, but at, at, at our core, it's our responsibility to select those solutions that are most appropriate for the customer needs. And, and so, you know, oftentimes uh, we find ourselves selecting certain partner capabilities in software and, and you know, and, and other solutions that, that are not, that compete with IBM product. And so, you know, that's not an uncommon occurrence. Um, as it relates to things like, and we're starting to see this in a new um, in a new light as we uh, we've announced our acquisition of Red Hat, which is fundamentally about hybrid cloud strategies and how our clients manage uh, multiple clouds, on-prem capabilities, et cetera. And you know, obviously, IBM has its own cloud capabilities, our own infrastructure that we offer to our clients. And has been enormously successful for the for, for in the marketplace. But the fact of the matter is that many of the clients that Global Business Services is engaged with may have a standard that is opposite from that. They may have a standard where they're looking um, to leverage Azure uh, or AWS or Google Cloud. So, the, you know, they the, they will come to us and say we're interested in deploying these capabilities or lifting and shifting capabilities into the public cloud, and we want these things to run on X platform, and it may not be IBM's. So we've sort of become accustomed to, and it's not unusual, it's a perfectly natural act for us to be uh, working with companies that could be seen as competitors and offer um, competing capabilities and solutions to our own. Yeah, I I think that's a great strategy. I I look back over 20-plus years in the Valley, and uh, back in the day when... We were more siloed, so a Cisco selling networking gear and IBM still being in the server business or an HP and Oracle being in databases. Uh, we were all very protective of our silos, and even to the point where when we were doing acquisitions uh, or if our competitors, as they were starting to converge, would buy one of our, one of our competitors, or I should say it differently, if one of our partners suddenly bought one of our competitors, we would do everything we could to actually uh, divest or rip out or rip and replace that technology. And then, mm-hmm. you know, even a decade ago, as convergence was happening, so all these companies were starting to bundle their solutions. You know, Cisco got into the server space, HP got into the networking space, um, IBM was really head, head first into services. Uh, this just kind of upended the market. So now what we have is this cloud. Um, environment. And when Bridget Carlin, IBM CTO of uh, Global Technology Services on a few months back, we had talked about this as well. In a multi-cloud environment, everyone's going to have to kind of figure out how to uh, keep their own business going, but also work nice in the sandbox, so to speak. So that's exactly mm-hmm. what you're describing. Yeah. I mean, we see that um, we see that day to day. 
uh, in our interactions with our clients around the globe. And, it, you know, it's our job to make sure that they're served in, in, in the best possible light and with the highest quality. So we don't, we're not, um, we're not wedded to any given technology solution platform stack. That's not what we do. We, we're, we're helping to meet our clients' requirements. And often those requirements are predicated on a competing solution. Right. So I, I saw in a recent press release that SAP and IBM had successfully implemented something like 200 use cases for customers. Uh, so I hope I got that number mm-hmm. right. What is in the makeup of that? How did that come about? So um, what I think you're referring to is we have, we've delivered over about 250 HANA impact assessments, and um, we have implemented and we're the first to implement over over 100 clients in uh, with with S for Hana, and so and, you know, and sorry, uh, just so what is Hana again? So S for Hana is SAP's new generation of ERP products, and uh, which were, were first announced in 2015, and now they are on. Uh, you know, they're deploying probably their their fourth or fifth release uh, since that time. And, and so most of our clients, uh, in, in the SAP world anyway, are looking to, to migrate at some point from their current, uh, their current installations of SAP ERP product to the latest versions, um, which have a whole new technology stack and new functionality, et cetera. So what are the benefits of existing SAP customers in the kind of the old SAP moving to S4HANA? Well, what, what, what SAP has, been invest, has invested in uh, are, is a tremendous amount of simplification, a tremendous amount of simplification in terms of processes, in terms of data models. There are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of benefits that clients accrue by implementing S4HANA. Um, the integration that they've developed with all of their component parts, so all of their latest acquisitions are fully integrated with S4HANA and in the prior versions that had to all be built uh, manually, so the maintenance is, you know, considerably, and complexity is lower. And the the other thing that SAP has and continues to invest in very very heavily, which saves uh, our clients tremendous amounts of time and money, is automation. So there's a tremendous amount of automation that's being built into the latest versions of S4HANA, which enables our clients to free up their resources to do other things. And this is, uh, you know, the, these are just some of the benefits that we see uh, from the the new products. That's great, Keith. Let's pause right there and um, keep going in our next segment. So you're listening to Keith Q Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Costello, Global VP at IBM of the IBM and SAP relationship. Any questions or comments about what we're talking about today, email us at info at svin.biz. And I'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. I'm joined with Keith Costello, who is the Global Vice President of the IBM and SAP relationship at IBM. Thanks, Keith, again for being here. Thank you for having me. So since we started Silicon Valley Insider, I always give a cyber tip of the week, which is really talking about things going on in information security and data privacy. And a lot of what's been in the news is Facebook, because Facebook 
has a lot of bad news. This week, it came to light that Facebook was, quote unquote, bribing teens for unlimited access to their private data. And this is a complicated story. So what you have is Facebook, which can be on your computer or on your iPhone or your mobile device, getting access to teens. And the accusation in a TechCrunch report was that they do this by getting first parental permission. So imagine if you have kids, they're able to sign up with the Facebook app. They're able to put in their age. They might put in a fake age or they might say, get your parents' consent. And so therefore, you either as a parent give them their consent or they fake it. And in that, Facebook then offers $20 in e-gift cards a month to the user. And they might not be children, but in this case, definitely teens were involved in order to then monitor everything that's happening on that device. Now, if you think about Facebook being a widely used application on something like an iPhone owned by Apple, Apple has very stringent controls on what applications do on their phones. And they use a test system called TestFlight. So if you're any company, whether a startup or a Facebook, in order for you to get your application even tested, has to go through TestFlight. Apple has now realized that Facebook willfully circumvented those controls as well, getting users to go to different sites, three different actual test places to download their application without Apple knowing it. So what's happening here? One, Apple revoked developer license to Facebook. Facebook cannot develop any further applications without Apple scrutinizing everything. Uh, Apple stopped short of actually pulling the application off of all of their technology. So just imagine getting pulled off of an iPhone or an iPad. And then two, uh, Facebook is under more scrutiny regarding the business practices. We talk about data privacy or security every single week because a lot of users who aren't familiar with technology are using these applications just because, because it's available. And so last week, I actually spoke at a cybersecurity conference and I was on stage with Elvis Chan, who's the supervisory FBI agent for cybercrime in the San Francisco region. And he also made a clear point that people really need to know what they're using and why they're using it. And so this is just my way of educating you every week. And so that's the tip. Be very conscious of what you install on your phones or any device and uh, be very wary of these big applications like Facebook or Facebook Messenger. And that's the tip of the week. So in our first segment, we've been talking about what's been happening with IBM on the global business services side. We were going into their partnership with SAP, a very long running partnership, uh, I believe 40 years plus how the SAP founders actually all came out of IBM. And we were really talking about now S4HANA, this transition of a platform, SAP being known as a large-scale technology provider in ERP, enterprise research planning. So the largest companies in the world, their business runs on their systems and how IBM partners with them to really implement SAP solutions into other companies. So... Keith, some of the use cases, uh, we, we talked about the 250 S4HANA assessments and the 100 customer implementations. What else is kind of going on between SAP and IBM to further help out customers? Well, what's interesting is we're seeing some dynamics in the marketplace. And I think this has uh, been building up you know, globally for a long time with, with companies. And, 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 and what it is is they're, they're all fighting for growth. 
they're all trying to figure out how to take advantage of a, of a growing economy and what opportunities they want to invest in. And so we're seeing companies that, uh, you know, have a very expansive view of what they want to do in the future. And what they're finding out is that the systems that they have, so people, processes, and systems, it all comes back to that. And the systems that they have don't support these new business models. We're seeing companies that want to implement subscription business models, and their current systems simply don't support subscription. It's a highly complex business model and one that's very different from selling assets or selling things or selling services. And so um, that's one example of where we see companies branching out. We also see companies that are going through some fundamental changes where they've been selling for 100-plus years. I'm thinking of real examples. Yes. Where they where they've been selling for 100 plus years through through distribution channels and and so on and so forth and they they're really focused on B2B and now they're looking at going you know what seems completely counterintuitive um, into retail and B2C direct to consumer none of their SAP systems which they implemented 35 years ago or 20 years ago support this so that's number 1 we're seeing companies going through some fundamental changes they need to reskill their people you know, we've been talking in the market um, a lot about the new skills that are required, new, new capabilities of our individuals, of our employees. And part of that is these companies are going through major changes and they're looking to tackle new markets and new opportunities. To, to do that, they've got to re- rethink their processes. They've got to rethink how they operate as a business. And they need systems to, to do all of that. And that's where IBM helps. And um, we also help our clients go through these massive amounts of change that um, seem very daunting at first but need to happen in order to take advantage of these new markets and new opportunities. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Just a coincidence because we hadn't talked about this before, but on today's show, uh, we're introducing a new segment at the end of the show called The Pivot. And we will, without giving too much away, because you have to stay tuned to the end, uh, we talk about how Usually the pivots identified with startups and how they've changed and how lots of famous companies, uh, quote unquote, the unicorns, these $1 billion uh, company valuations that they, they actually changed their business model. So we'll, we'll talk about that later. But uh, the pivot can happen in any stage of a company, uh, large or small. And so what you're describing with what IBM and SAP are doing is d- not just disrupting yourselves, but helping your customers navigate that so that they don't become the next Toys R Us or Jimboree, which, which was just announced last week, Jimboree here in the Silicon Valley, San Francisco area, that that they're that they're folding. They couldn't actually um, manage the shift or the pivot or the transition, and so that's why. Because I want to really hit this point home. SAP or or even an Oracle, these are fairly large investments in technology. Sometimes even up to the billions of dollars over time to run companies. End to end, and mm-hmm. you just discussed or described how SAP changed their their technology and business model in anticipation of the customers needing to do the same thing. So subscription, great example. Uh, it's not easy to make a successful shift into a subscription business. Uh, I can think of one company that has some success is Adobe. Adobe used to yeah. have to buy um, shrink wrap product, uh, packaged product. And they spent a long time shifting into a cloud um, subscription model so that people now want to buy their products um, on a subscription, get their updates, and not worry about shrink rep anymore. So 
So good points. So what other things are you thinking about? Well, you know, ultimately, our clients are coming to us because they're looking for, they've got these changes that they want uh, to make, and they're looking for us to help them with the business case that they can bring to the board so that they can justify these these major investments and, and fund what needs to be done. Um, and so, you know, what's driving all this, Keith, is well, we did a survey. Uh, IBM Research does surveys on an annual basis of, of, of many, many clients. And one of the surveys that they do is of about 13,000 C-level executives, pretty equally distributed across the globe. So everywhere from California to Japan. And, um, and these executives, when you distill down what it is that they are, that they're, they're um, captivated about, that they're thinking about all the time is how do they disrupt what they do? How do they get out of their shell and out of their box and disrupt what they do, because if they don't do that and they're not thinking that way, and it's not about disruption to, you know, to, uh, to, you know, to uh, effectively destroy their core, but it's, but it's disruption enough to think about new ways of doing business with your clients, how to serve your customers better, what are they saying to you, what are small upstarts in your field doing in your industry. So they're looking at all of this, and ultimately when they, when they finally decide what they want to do and who they want to be, then they require a you know a tremendous amount of assistance to under to tackle that change, and and as I mentioned before, that includes um, as a core element the systems that that really digitize their processes and and um, you know help them recognize that business. So um, in this model, and it could be either. Where is the entry point? Is it usually an existing SAP customer asking the SAP account team? Uh, how to do a transition and they and they then get pointed to IBM or uh, does it go the other way where uh, your team is the is the the funnel that then goes back into SAP or both yeah it's it, it, it's both um, so there's there's a large group of clients tens of thousands who are on older versions of of SAP's ERP software and in 2015 SAP had had announced that by 2025, it was no longer going to support or provide maintenance for customers on those old versions. So they need to migrate. And so in in a way, SAP has created this this um, this sea change of of clients that are looking to move from one system to another. And what they're looking to do is in a larger context of changes going on in their business and in their markets. You know, how do they justify and 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 effectively build that case to do all of this change, including the SAP migration to S4HANA. Mm-hmm. That's one set of clients. They're, they're already existing SAP clients. We have a set of clients who are, as I mentioned, these changes are, that are occurring in a, in a client's industry or in a market, are, no one's really thinking about the technology. They're just thinking about clients have a certain demand, whether it's B2B or B2C, and in, in those demands, in those um, opportunities that you see, um, they need to make changes. So we're seeing a lot of clients who last, you know, went through sort of an ERP refresh uh, right on the, you know, on the verge of Y2K. And frankly, that was the last time they looked at their business processes. Since 1998 or 99 or 2000, they've been adding companies, they've been buying companies, they've been changing things. And now they have this hodgepodge that's never been rationalized or optimized. And so we see a whole bunch of customers who are, 
who are, you know, not traditional SAP clients who are looking to make a move. And, um, and, and so making that move, they're engaging IBM to help them through that transition. Well, Keith, uh, I can't believe we're out of time, but thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for explaining what's going on with SAP and IBM and serving customers. Again, if you have any questions or comments, email us at info svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo, and today I'm introducing a new segment called The Pivot. And what's The Pivot? Good question. The pivot can mean different things to different people. But traditionally, it means that a company or organization changed directions. So in order to explain how we got here, I need to first explain a little bit about myself. I was in corporate for over 20 plus years, uh, ultimately being an executive at companies like the Bank of Tokyo or MUFG. I was in charge of technology risk on third parties and vendors. And even before that, I did a bunch of M&A integration for companies like Cisco, HP, and Wells Fargo. So in that, you see a lot of things. You see a lot of deals. You see a lot of companies rise up. You see a lot of companies fall. So when we talk about the pivot, we can talk about a company such as Twitter. Twitter has a billion users. Twitter originally was supposed to be a podcasting social media platform, and this is before Apple came out with iTunes or iPod. Twitter had to pivot or change directions in order to survive. So I pivoted. I started my own consulting firm a few years ago. A lot of what I do I can't talk about, but I basically help large companies negotiate their deals, help them with their M&A, and I help startups figure out what their business plans are. In a recent article by Barbara Kokorin, who is one of the sharks in the shark tank, she made a blanket statement. She said, here are the red flags for me when a company wants me to invest. And one of the things she said was one of the worst things you can do for Barbara is to mention as a startup that you pivoted. Now, again, we're not going to make a judgment call on whether a pivot in itself is good or bad. We're going to let the companies we highlight each week speak for themselves. So if you're a startup, a pivot could have negative implications. And why is that? Well, if you're a startup and you're pivoting, your investors may lose confidence in you. They might not understand why they originally put money in you. Your sales team, who are commission-based, may not understand the product they're selling anymore. Also, the original engineering team, if you're a software company or a technology company, might not remember why they uh, got hired in the first place or they might not have the skill set you need. So in other words, you do have to be intentional with what we'll call a big pivot. But we'll also compare a big pivot to a small pivot. Small pivots happen every time. When people hear the word pivot, they're usually thinking of a really drastic change. But pivots in business, technology or not, happen all the time. Pivots can happen in your pricing model. Pivots can happen in your go-to-market. Things happen, environment changes. Guy Kawasaki, who's the famous evangelist for Apple in the early days, he wrote 
a few years back a book called Enchantment. He actually went through an explanation of Iceman 1.0. So, you know, just like in the movie Frozen, if you have kids, they used to carve ice out of a lake. And then that person, those people got displaced by being able to store ice in an ice house. And then what happened? We had refrigeration and now we have freezers and refrigerators. And so those people got displaced. We can be even more recent. We can think about Kodak. Kodak being a giant in film processing, but totally missed the boat on digital photos. They even had early patents on the technology, but they didn't think about how to proceed on digital because they're too busy protecting photos. So every week I invite you, if you hear of a good story around a pivot, to email us at info at svi.biz or come to our website and submit your thoughts on what have been good pivots and bad pivots. And pivots don't only happen with startups, as we discussed, they also happen with large companies. John Maxwell, who wrote Good to Great, actually talks in his book about how every level five leader, which is also uh, associated with their companies. So back in the day, whether it was Wells Fargo or Southwest. So each week we'll be giving you a story on a good pivot, a bad pivot, or a strategy around changing your business. I will finally leave you with this. During the dot-com era, there were a lot of great stories and also bad stories on companies. A company that everybody thought was going to do really well was Webvan. Webvan was a pioneer in delivering groceries to your house. And people thought that they had the model down correctly. And where they pivoted in a bad way is they scaled too quickly. They actually spent a lot of money with logistics, building out warehouses to store all of their future products to deliver. Their business was not growing fast enough to support all that cost. And therefore they actually went bankrupt because at the point where they needed to get more customers, they couldn't actually um, get enough revenue to pay off their expenses. And it's funny because whoever go to AT&T, the ballpark, which is now Oracle Park, for years after, they had the web van sticker behind all the seats at the stadium. And then they had to cover that up with a larger sticker from another vendor. So if you have any questions or comments about today's show or The Pivot, email us at info at svn.biz. You can get a hold of me, Keith Koo on LinkedIn, Keith Koo on Facebook, and SVI underscore Keith at twitter.com. And we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN. 